0: Good Morning. It's good to be here with you all. I'm going to say a phrase. I want you just to ponder it. It's my way or the highway. It's my way or the highway. You can probably imagine and think about maybe someone in your past, somebody that was in charge, and this was how they led. You probably don't like anything about them, but I'm going to suggest maybe the worst thing about them was their injustice. There's a way we can deal with people if they have all kinds of personalities, if we, if we see that they lead well and they, they treat people justly. Um, but a person that says my way or the highway uh, is blind to a lot of things. They have a, a narrow perspective. And because of that, the people around them end up suffering. I'll give you a second phrase from the poetic chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians sort of builds to this. In chapter 13, it says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not insist on its own way. And I'm going to kind of just lay these out for you. It's my way or the highway. Love does not insist on its own way. And we'll ponder those. That'll bring us into our time. We're continuing a series on the law, that as God's people were leaving the wilderness to have a land of their own, God gave them this law so that they would thrive in the land, that they would be healthy. And today, the topic specifically is on justice. As I prepared, I sort of sketched out how this could easily be a six-part sermon series, uh, but we only have today. So... What it's going to feel like is an efficient road trip. You can think about it maybe like a tour, and I'll be your tour guide. You can trust me. You'll stay with me. I'll remind you that we are not under the law, but under grace. Because of Christ, there's a new covenant, so that's why we don't obey the letter of everything in Deuteronomy. Uh, we're exploring what justice looked like in Bronze Age, ancient Israel. What hasn't changed is that the God that wrote this law is the same God that we seek and serve. So by the end of today, I don't expect anyone to purchase a slave. I don't expect anyone to pay taxes to a priest, to marry your brother-in-law, or uh, to have a party for immigrants. However, we are gonna look at each and every one of those things. And it's gonna be great. I might be a little hard to read at times this morning because on the one hand, I'm, I'm excited about the word. I, I love it. I've enjoyed preparing for today. Uh, God has just met with me as I've looked at his word and I just want to share it with you. And on the other hand, uh, I'm trembling in fear. <laughs> so um, buckle up and we'll, we'll get going. Uh, let's, let's ask the Lord for help. Uh, Lord God, um, we, we love you and we realize we don't yet fully know you. Uh, we want to be open in this moment. We want to be still here. We thank you for rest. We thank you for a time without work, a time to be at peace with you. God, we pray that your presence would open up this word to us, that we might know you more. Show us your way, God. God and help us to humbly see the error of our ways. We pray for justice in this land, justice in our homes and in our community. And God, would you make the justice happen through us, Lord? Give us the strength and the wisdom to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we set out, I invite you to take notes, even if you're not a usual note taker. We are gonna travel fast and light over some heavy topics. So the Lord might give you a question that I don't want you to forget. He might kind of show you one of these passages that you're like, I need to look at it more and please take it home and continue. And of course, I'm always available if you wanna talk to me or discuss any of this. All right, Uh, the first big thought for today is that God's way is justice. God is justice. This will be our starting point. After receiving the law, Moses writes a song, which includes this verse from Deuteronomy 32. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So Moses gets the rule book. He gets the handbook or the procedure manual, but that's not what the law is. The law, more so than that, it's the imprint of God's heart on his people. God's law showed the way to a just and healthy nation. God saw a world filled with injustice and out of his wisdom, with deep mercy for his people, he gave the law so that his people would be set apart that they would enjoy abundant life in the promised land. Moses gets the law, and he gets it. Like, he understands it. And out of thankfulness, Moses writes a song about God generally, but about justice specifically. And he worships God, saying, these laws you've given are perfect because you are perfect. We will have justice in our land, God, because you are justice. As I say this, I, uh, I know I haven't, I haven't quite fully arrived here. There's no expectation that by the, t- the end of today, everybody would love Deuteronomy, but there's a benefit to looking at it. And notice that it starts with worship. I'm thankful for our time of worship. Songs like God, give us your heart. We'll build our life on your truth, on your love, Lord. Lead us in your love to those around us. That's just That brings us right into today. What could also guide us is maybe asking a question, having a question in the back of your mind. In what way is injustice normal for you? In which way has justice become a part of your everyday life? I'm sorry, inju- injustice become a part of your everyday life? And a way we might kind of see that is when we look at a thing, we look at a, a passage of God's Word where God says this is justice, And our reaction is to say, well, actually, this is strange, and I actually think it's wrong. Uh, To condense it, this question you can have is, is my way different than God's way? Is my way different than God's way? Deuteronomy says, do not pervert the justice of four specific people groups. I have these on a slide. Uh, I hope everybody can read all of this. I'll give you a moment to read it all. The law puts special emphasis on these people, the Levites, the fatherless, the widows, and sojourners. Go ahead. (laughs) They're repeated more than 10 times in Deuteronomy, and that repetition shows importance. Uh, We'll we'll read that verse that I, I made larger for us. Then you shall say, Before the Lord your God... I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Those are tithes and offerings. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. So it says pretty clearly, remember them, think about them, care for them, give them money, give them food. What is special about these four groups? Why these four? Do they get honorary or special treatment? Uh, No, God says, remember these people because they're marginalized. They are in most danger of abuse or neglect. The law has an understanding that there will be natural unfairness, so justice is to do what is right in light of the unfairness. Anyone who volunteers in the preschooler's room is is ministering justice in an environment where kids are debating the fair allocation of toys. There might only be one farmer says, see and say, and in that situation, there really is no fairness, but whoever is helping out down there, they're they're administering justice. So we'll take these quickly, uh, one at a time. We'll start with the, the Levite. If we were to play the game, uh, which one of these is not like the others, the Levite will stand out. Um, They're not really the least of these. If anything, they're the movers and shakers. They know, they teach the law, they enforce the law. You can't worship God without them. They're actually in a position of power. Uh, I have a slide here showing some verses about these Levites. It says, um, Deuteronomy 14.27 says... And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. And Joshua reads, The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. Let's take a look at what this means. In national Israel, religion was the law. There was no separation between church and state. The Levitical Levitical priests were it. And the law says they cannot own land. They live among other tribes. They rent their homes. They don't work their own fields. They live off the ties of the people of Israel. This is the system of government that God set forth in the law. You might think it's strange. Uh, I don't think it's just strange. I think it's revolutionary. Thousands of years later, we're still trying to figure this out. If you, if you study modern history, you might think of names like Thomas Paine or uh, James Madison, who wrote something I'll paraphrase as, maybe the people in charge shouldn't have a lot of power and wealth because that will lead to corruption. We live in a time where government is by the people. Democracy is the most popular form of government on our planet today. However, 300 years ago, it was a bold and new idea, seemingly new. God had this figured out already. As the Israelites said into Canaan, the ones in charge were God's possession. He was their inheritance, so much so that written in the law is, hey, everybody else, make sure my Levites who teach you the law, make sure they don't go hungry, make sure they don't starve, Imagine how this impacted their public service as they rented the land with no inheritance to pass down, no safety net, depending on their neighbors for their livelihood. How do you think they were supposed to lead? How do you think they were supposed to raise their kids? They were meant to minister and serve the people with kindness and with understanding. And they, teach, they were to teach their children to do the same. I think God knew what he was doing. His desire was for his people to live in justice. If servant leadership or government interests you and you're unfolding your beach chair and you want to you stay here, you've got to get back in the van, we're already moving on. But I want us to see that God was over this nation of all of his people. And in the middle, he put mediators, that were not to amass land and wealth and lord over the people. They were servant leaders that were prone to being forgotten. I don't know who's watching the preschoolers right now. I don't know what servant leader is there, but maybe give them a hug and and thank them for serving. All right, now let's look at uh, justice for the fatherless. We're moving on. God says, remember the fatherless? And as this concept is worked out, it it doesn't get visited with specifics very much, but instead God talks about the poor. In ancient Israel, land was passed down through fathers. So if you did not have a father, it is almost certain that you did not have wealth. Let's look at what the law says. Deuteronomy 15 says, but there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. Same chapter. For there, will be, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So there are no poor, and there will, there will always be poor. Which one is it? By the way, we're going to look at a lot of confusing parts of the Bible today. So it'll be fun. Stay with me. If God's people obey the law, the poor will not be poor. This is worked out throughout the law. The, the, the poor people don't get cheap seats at the festivals. If you don't own land, there, there was land allotted to you that you could harvest from. They're remembered in the law if the people obey it. God's people were to be justice and to do justice. God's people were the means through which the poor would be provided for. And and here it says, open wide your hand and remember them with charitable giving. There will never cease to be poor among you, but there will be no more, no poor among you. A helpful way to see this is God understands this. God's smarter than we are. He says, there will always be unfairness, yet if my people live according to my word, there will always be justice. There will always be unfairness, but if you obey my commands, there will be justice. That's the idea. If you were poor, you didn't just receive alms uh, from the wealthy I imagine you would have some choices, but you wouldn't have many. Uh, you could starve to death. You could choose a life of crime. Or what was common practice in that day is you would exchange your labor for a place to stay and food to eat. And we know this as slavery. Let's be very clear about what we're talking about. Uh, I, know, I just know for just about everybody in this room, the first thing that comes to your mind is colonial, race-based, systemic slavery. Um, that's just what our minds go to. That's actually not what we're looking at. We'll, we'll talk about the sojourner and foreigners at the end of our time, but uh, that's, that's not what God talks about here. Let's, let's see what it says. This is Deuteronomy 15. If your brother a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. All right, let's pause here and just notice that uh, this this slavery that was prescribed is like an indentured service that was temporary. We do this today. I went to college because I paid to go to college. Uh, I'm paying to go to grad school not because that is who I am or this is my lot in life, but it's a season moving me upward. I'm thankful for it. I worked a job for less than minimum wage. I had to clock in at 8 a.m. and I couldn't leave until 9 o'clock at night because I was, it was an entry-level job and I was working towards something. It's, I don't think it's a far stretch to say that this, this is a hand up for people that benefit from it continue, and when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, Nobody makes laws this sharp. We have a lot of thou shalt nots. We, there's a, the laws are the things you shouldn't do. The freedom God gives the landowner and the slave owner is you must love them. You must remember them. Because when you were a slave, I did not forget you. So love them with your hands, with your work, with your possessions. Do you see how... Yes, he's a slave, he's bought at a price, but he's also a brother. And when you set him free, you give him animals, you give him crops, you give him wine. Though he is poor, he is not poor. Why? Because of what you do. You do justice so that this poor person does not know poverty. Do you see how the law was supposed to be on their hearts? Do you see how this isn't just a rule book? He says, if you put this law on your hearts, you will be like me, and there will be no poor in the land. Let's keep reading. But if the slave says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an all and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. If anybody here wants to get their ears pierced, they have like professionals for that. So don't do it at your door. Um, I don't blame anyone that has frustration with how slavery is supported and seemingly um, said as a good thing in the law. This is actually why we're looking at it today. The expectation was that slave masters were to be so loving, it uses the, lo- the word love right here. They were to be so loving that freedom becomes a problem for this slave. Remember, freedom for a poor person that doesn't own any land is, is instability, it's risk. And you have to multiply that if this servant had a family. God's laws allow for this servant to say, I want your people to be my people. I want your God to be my God. I forfeit any freedom I'd have anywhere else. I want my place to be with you forever. You cannot love someone that you see as a less than. You can't love someone that you see as below you. Love. You can love someone equal or, or more so. Love is humbling yourself to lift someone else up this slavery between a rich Hebrew and a poor Hebrew is not between an abuser and a victim. You could read this passage a hundred times. It is not abuser and victim. The assumption that these these are brothers and sisters loving one another, it just happens that one has more stuff. As we lift ourselves up out of this text, no one in this church wants to reinstate slavery of any form. But I just, I will, uh, let's be real and remember that there are people that we forget. Slavery is real, literal slavery is real in many nations on this globe. And if you can think about our culture, has this, the disparity between the least of these and the highest of these, low income earners and high income earners, has it gotten narrower? Has it become more just or less just? I think God has something to say to us here about justice. Do you act so justly to the poor, to your superiors, to those that work for you, to your parents, and to your children? Do you act and do such justice that your relationships become defined by God's love for his people? That's the law. We're going to move on, and I'm just struck with the sense that God knows more about poverty and economics than we do. He knows life is unfair, and his justice wasn't about fairness. It was about love. His justice was through financial giving, providing opportunity, all with an understanding that being poor didn't make you any less one of God's people. There's a summary slide we can look at, but it kind of just shows that God's justice is for the poor, for the Levite. And now we're going to look at the widow. The New Testament repeats that we should care for widows in their distress. That's from James. And I feel like we could have given you a breath of fresh air. I feel like we could all agree that uh, someone that loses their husband is in a time of distress. They should be cared for. We could have kept it simple. Um, But in my study, God God put his finger right here on Deuteronomy 25, I might be the only person on the planet preaching on this passage this morning. Uh, kind of like last week when John said with holiness, like, this is a section of God's law that is clear. You're going to read it, have no, no question what it says, uh, but you'll have, you'll have questions about why and is this good? And we'll have to continue to ask, who has the claim on what justice is? Is God's way different than my way? And who is just? We'll read it together. And I'll just say one more time, we are not under the law. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. We'll keep going here. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. All right, what do you think? Again, we could, we could have just smooth sailed. Yeah, yeah take care of what it is. Why are we here? Why are we here? This this, this probably, this, this feels like the definition of an injustice. Like you look at this and you say, how how is this law wise at all? And, uh, by the way, I want to give you all full permission to read your Bible and to not get it on the first pass. That's normal. I don't know where you put yourself here in the text. I put myself as the, the spiritual guy. This is a ceremony. My dearly beloved, we're, glad, we're gathered here to shame this man. Rosalie, you may now spit in his face. <laughs> it's... Uh, I wouldn't want to be that guy. But we'll remind ourselves what we're doing today. This is strange to us, but let's remember God is wisdom. God is justice. All his ways are perfect. So let's do some work to look at it. Let's go back in. We'll just consider the initial command before the exception. Uh, The older brother dying we can understand, is a tragedy for this family, but it doesn't affect everybody the same. If you'd go back in time to a wedding ceremony, remember, land is passed down through fathers, and it stays their land. This law is so that someone's name would not be blotted out of Israel. These are God's people. He cares about them even to the one that passes away. So there would have been a marriage ceremony, and a father would have said... There would have been agreement between him and this family, him and this new husband. Will you care for my daughter? Can she stay on your land? Will you provide for her? Will you give her a place and care for her? And the, the understanding would have been yes. And the understanding here seems to be that it's, it's more than t- till death do us part. So this woman is Vulnerable. She's lost her husband and has no son, and it does seem strange to all of us, but this unmarried younger brother was to honor the promises his family made, to take his sister-in-law to be his wife, and it says where his kids need to live. So when he has a first son, he lives on his brother's land, and all the other kids would be on his land. I think the loudest objection we would have is we would say, well, what is just, what is sacred is that marriage is a choice between two people who love one another. And the law shouldn't tell people they have to marry each other. And I don't know that we can fully resolve that today or even if we have to. I'll share that in my college days, I sort of was frustrated with the Bible because dating and courtship and and. Coming into marriage was such a big part of my life and God seemingly had nothing to say or very little to say. Now I'm 13 years into marriage and God has given me plenty to say about faithfulness. There's plenty in the Bible about faithfulness and um, our ways are different. The longer I sit here, I'm wondering uh, which one is more just. Let's look at the second part. Now, there's some things in the second part that are agreeable. Uh, this woman has a claim on the land. She's a woman with rights. She, ha- can, she has recourse to go to the elders of the land and say, hey, this is unfair to me. I like that the elders uh, talk this guy out of it. They have, a, they have a role to walk with this man towards faithfulness. That's discipleship. Faithful older men teaching younger men to obey the law. Those parts are good. Why is it that the text seems to assume that the, the woman wants to get married to the younger brother, but the younger brother doesn't want to get married? The law also says that the oldest brother gets a double portion of the wealth, a double portion of the land. This younger brother would have lived in the shadow of his older brother his whole life. And now he has a choice, which the law discourages and even shames. His choice is to be faithful to this woman that picked his family, to love her and care for her and give her offspring so that she's provided for in her old age, or he could be rich. The law says a woman's commitment to leave her family of origin, to be taken in by another family would be honored and gives a strong incentive for men to be loving and faithful. It seems to understand that people in our lives will will have important decisions between faithfulness and greed, between love and selfishness. And this illustrates that if you call yourself by God's name and you choose yourself and you choose money, and you break your promises, and you don't build up families, and you don't care for your brother, shame on you. Let everybody know that you made this choice. One more thing. Who's the wealthiest person in this passage? Who's the wealthiest person in this passage? Getting a double share is the unborn child. God's justice is for people that we forget and don't even consider. Marriage, according to his word, is not just two happy people trying to be happy and have a good life. Marriage is the beginning of family. Family is the foundation of society. And that to God is justice. When I first read this, I thought it was about the sandal. Most of you might be looking at this passage for the first time. I don't expect anybody to be excited about Old Testament law, about land rights and marriage. We're not under this law. But, but this is where I want to set my beach chair up. I want to stay here. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm so interested to see how my way is so different than God's way. God, what do you have to teach us about justice? He has something here for us. Uh, but we'll take our last turn instead. We'll, we'll move on and we'll look at the sojourner. If, you read, if you've been reading with us and you read through Joshua, it's tense. There is a war. People are dying. And there's this phrase that happens two times where it reads, and the land had rest from war. And when you read that, it's like, oh, this is what God wanted. God wants peace. They were to take the land and to be a nation of peace. It assumes, the, the law assumes that one day they will, they will be a nation and sojourners will come, whether they're immigrants coming in to live there or, or if they're migrants that are displaced because they need refuge. If you hang in with me here, we have two more passages we're gonna look at and I don't want us to miss anything we'll see how Moses writes the perspective of the outsider right into the law. This is Deuteronomy 4, 4 through 8. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. The law was for justice internally, but it was also to give God's people a reputation of understanding and wisdom, and that was an attractive reputation. Other people were to see and fear God. They were to know that these people have a God because of these rules, because of these laws, because there is actually justice in this place. If you've read Judges chapter one, there's a guy that cuts the thumbs and toes off of all his neighbors. Imagine leaving his land and coming to this. Last passage for today, Deuteronomy 31. And Moses commanded, this is for Israel's special events committee, by the way, and Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the same set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. There's a lot here. All I want us to see, God's vision for the people was to welcome in sojourners and to care for them, to adopt them, and to teach them their ways so that they would be a part of this nation. God's kingdom is the light of the world, welcoming in sojourners. And they were to say, could I stay here? Could I be a part of this people and serve your God? That was God's intent all along. God's justice was for all people. No one deserves a relationship with God. It's always an act of God's grace. And God's people were to extend this grace. Today as Christians, this world is not our home. We have an eternal resting place with God. Now we are the sojourners, but what has not changed is that God's kingdom is expanding through us as we do justice. I want to take time to summarize. It was a lot. I bet the only thing you agree with maybe is that this should have been six sermons and not one. There's a slide here that might help us. I know this was fast. Um, the expectation is not that we absorbed every, everything, but I hope you saw something. I hope that as we opened up Deuteronomy, looking at what God says about justice, uh, we, you see that we don't always get this right. God's justice is for, from a perspective that's higher than ours. And he remembers people that we forget. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the power corrupts. So he gave his nation servant leaders that were to serve wholeheartedly with humility and kindness and the people were to be thankful for them and to remember them. God understands that life is not fair, that wealth and privilege and rights will never be equal and the law has no desire to equalize that. However, he says just this is something that his people do. And when within the law we're reminded that our brotherhood is of much higher importance, than our social status. God reminds us that we are constantly neglecting and forgetting the marginalized. And as we give opportunity, and we give charitably, and as we honor the poor, there's an increase of justice among us. God remembers the widow and the fatherless. And how we all live in this tension between selfishness and faithfulness, between love and greed. And he's very clear that we must be faithful people for there to be justice in the land. And God's justice was always made to expand his kingdom. That has not changed between the old and new covenants. By learning his ways, he wants you to have a reputation of understanding and of wisdom so that other people will see and come to fear and to know God. We have one more little line on the bottom giving us a takeaway response. Just as this this Deuteronomy lays out, as Moses led his people, you worship God, allow him to transform you so that we more and more become people that do justice. God's desire was not just for good policies and orderly churches or that we do good stuff with our hands. He's imprinting his heart on us when we study his word. We are becoming like him. There will be justice if we do his law. And the law was not a rule book or a handbook. It reveals a God that loves us and doesn't forget us. The law shows us the way to be more like him so that those around us feel his love and experience his love through our hands and through what we do. This is our prayer, that through our lives as we worship God, as he works on us and sanctifies us, that the people around us will say, surely you have a God that is near to you whenever you call upon him. Let's call upon him now in prayer. Lord God, uh, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. Uh, we thank you for your mercy to us, how you loved us while we were yet sinners and uh, it wasn't for any wisdom or understanding that we had that you chose us to get a head start. You take us from where we are and you want us to be wise and understanding. You want us to love like you love, to be faithful like you you are faithful. Help us, God, to remember those that we often forget and especially those that society forgets. May we be known as a people that do right by the people that are hurt in this world and neglected. Help us not to forget our neighbor, but help us to love our neighbor, God. We praise you and thank you for how you shepherded and cared for your people according to your law. And eventually you made a new covenant with us that put this law on our hearts. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us, God. Help us to become people that do justice for the glory of your name. Help us to humble ourselves, God, and not to get lost in our own shame, choosing our selfishness and our greed. But teach us to be faithful, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.